0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Anthony Zhang. He is the CEO and co-founder of VinoVest, which is a way for people to invest in wine. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Anthony.
2: Thank you very much, Jordan. I'm glad to be here.
1: Let's just get a little bit of your background and what you did before you founded uh, Vinnovest.
2: Sure. So in terms of my background, I started out as an entrepreneur very early, uh, actually my freshman year of college. And the first business I started was a food delivery app called Envoy Now. And we helped college students who wanted to make a little bit more side money and connected them with their hungry peers and teachers on campus. That company was able to get some early angel funding from the likes of Peter Thiel and a bunch of larger Silicon Valley VCs and eventually was able to sell that company after reaching 22 markets in 2016. And that was around the time I got pretty curious into investing for myself and wanted to do something outside of the traditional stock market. So that's how I fell into learning more about alternative asset classes and learning more about fine wine as an asset class.
1: So let's talk about wine as an asset class. It's something people don't normally think of as something you can make money in. What is the the health of the wine investing business today?
2: Yeah, that's a great question because like you and like many others, I think my only basic notion of wine as an investment was that some things age and they get better, right? That's where you get the adage, age is like fine wine from. Right. as I dug in a little bit more, I realized that not only was it a viable asset class, but it actually had outperformed the S&P 500 over the past 40 years and was relatively uncorrelated, especially during market downturns. Because the main things that are driving the high-end wine market from an investment standpoint is A, these bottles of wine need to be able to age to get better, to reach their peak drinking window, and B, from a purely supply and demand standpoint, a five-year-old bottle will inherently just have less supply than a 10-year-old bottle. So as it gets rarer, becomes more and more desirable and through supply and demand the prices get propped up so you've got these high-end wineries who are making the same or less amount of wine every year and then through global demand for wine that sort of consumer uh, that is consuming all the wine is getting greater and greater which has led to a very healthy high-end wine market over the past two three decades
1: so give us a sense of the market i assume it's pretty much for very wealthy people are these bottles sold on the internet or is it done through auctions? What, what is the mechanism of the wine
2: investing business? It's still pretty hard to get into. I think especially high-end wine has the negative reputation of being inaccessible or exclusive or very elite, and that's still very much so true. When I was getting started, you know, I wasn't a wine insider, so I was looking at auctions. I was asking brokers or consultants to, to help me find the best wines, and I realized that there are still so many layers and nuances in terms of what wine do I pick? How do I know I'm getting it for the right price from a reputable source? And how the hell do I store it? And these were a lot of barriers to entry that I encountered that made this pretty tricky to get into. And I firmly thought that there could be a better solution out there. I think a lot of people are just used to being able to log into either an online brokerage platform or be able to deploy their capital right away without having to think of all the intricacies of what and how this asset works. And that's what we're looking to help solve with building my company, VinoVest.
1: So what are the people in the existing wine investing business? Do they see you as a threat or they thought you were bringing new capital to the business? What was their attitude towards you when you came
2: up with VinoVest? I think there's two different attitudes with the existing players. Uh, First is the wineries. They're the ones that we directly work with and We're telling them, instead of you working with importers, brokers, distributors, then retailers and not really knowing who your end consumer is, you can work directly with a platform like us where we connect you directly to consumers who are actively looking and trying to learn more about fine wine as an investment. And we're able to provide you that level of granularity. Um, So that, I think at least on the winery side, has been very positive. I definitely think that we are seen as a disruptor in the wine investment space when you compare us to wine hedge funds or other asset managers or existing brokers because they're relying on a model that seems very similar to how the stock market worked back in the 50s or 60s. You know, you, you call up your broker, you ask to place a few trades, and you don't really know what price you're locking it in at, and they'll call you, uh, you know, a day or two later and be like, hey, Jordan, here's what we're able to get for you, and here's my commission. It's 15 to Twenty percent. So yep. we're really able to, I think, just move in a direction where all other asset classes are moving and I think just catching up with the 21st century.
1: So let's talk about the mechanics of it. What is the minimum investment? What fees are involved? And how long do you have to hold on before you can liquidate your portfolio?
2: Minimum investment is just at $1,000. So that'll get you a case or two of wine. And as you move up, you'll be able to be able to buy, I think, a lot more higher end, potentially higher return bottles just with the higher price levels. In terms of the fee structure, it's a standard annual management fee of 2.8%. And what we do is we want to make sure that we cover everything that you need to know as a wine investor in that fee. So from all transactions to the storage, to the active management, to the insurance policies, all of that is bundled within our fee. And in terms of getting started, it's Really, really easy as an online platform. Uh, You can get started, link your bank account or credit card in in just a few minutes. And our team, which has built out an algorithm, is going to be able to take all of your financial goals from your risk level, from your investment timeline, from your available investing capital, to be able to form a portfolio that best fits your needs.
1: And uh, how long do people typically, and, and you're saying people mostly take delivery of the wine bottles themselves or is it they typically keep it in storage somewhere?
2: They typically h- trust us to store it because you know, it is, I think, um, uh, inevitable aspect of the wine world is that if you don't store it properly, that wine is going to turn to vinegar and be worth nothing. So mm. a lot of these consumers who either don't have their own wine cellar, you know, it takes a few thousand dollars to set one up at home or just don't want to deal with those physical logistics. They trust us and we've got a network of storage facilities where we can not only make sure that they are professionally maintained, but also that they are also insured, kind of like the equivalent of, you know, an FDIC for your banking assets. Uh Uh, And to answer your previous question about the timeline, most people are looking at this as a fairly long-term investment, anywhere between five to 10 years. And that's really what we want to tell people who are interested in learning more about wine is that it's... Like real estate in the fact that it is a long-term investment you know, it just takes take, takes time for wine to age in the bottle and for its available supply to go down, which are the two main drivers and it's not really like a day trading or a quick flip type of situation for the most yeah. part.
1: so people are buying new bottles
2: they're buying new bottles, older bottles, even barrels too so you know the the market can be really really uh, dynamic for someone who wants to build a diversified portfolio strategy. Because not only can you buy uh, barrels, which are the equivalent of wine futures, you can buy wines from different regions, different years, and really to be able to diversify yourself within the asset class as well. Appreciate it very much, thanks. We'll be back after this.
3: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media and the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so, but I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life.
4: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog?
3: We're always talking business. Talk to
5: an expert. Call
3: now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: Wish you were in on some of the early best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most important, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO, such as Beyond Meat, or being bought out by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can see our crowd's investment in TechSee, a software startup that helps technicians and customer service teams see what customers sees without ever stepping inside their home or office. It's easy, safe, and and already revolutionizing how companies like Vodafone, Verizon, and Samsung support their customers. TechSea uses patented technology combining video, augmented reality, and computer vision, artificial intelligence. It allows companies to keep their customer service up and running, reduce costs, and enhance their customer experience. As a category leader in the visual assistance space, with remote support being essential during the pandemic, TechSea is uniquely positioned to continue to maximize their market share with leading enterprise companies. You can get in early on TechSea and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. So go to ourcrowd.com, which is free, ourcrowd.com answers. Welcome back to the Money Answers Show. My guest this half hour is Anthony Zhang. He is the CEO and co-founder at VinoVest.com. Welcome back to the show, Anthony.
2: Thanks a lot, Jordan.
1: So we were talking about how long people tend to hold their wines and how they can pick uh, amongst all the different varieties and countries and vintages. How do you help them pick which one's the best to invest in with all the different choices out there?
2: Great question. So we don't expect our investors to come in as wine experts. And especially with people who do know a little bit about wine, a lot of times their taste preferences can get clouded between their investment preferences. So, we really do take a lot of the emotion out of it. Most of our team is, has a background in technology, in data science, and in, in finance. So, we're taking a very rigorous quantitative approach when we pick wines. So, really, really just being able to see which wines are going to be able to deliver that return potential in the right timeline for you, as well as how diversified or how speculative or how safe you want to be, and our team actually handles those selections. So if you told me today, Jordan, hey, I've got $10,000 I want to hold for five years, I want to put into the wine market, based on those parameters, our team will be able to help guide you and create a portfolio of wines.
1: I see. So the investor doesn't really pick it themselves. They leave it up to your
2: experts. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So in general, the higher priced wines tend to appreciate more than the lower priced wines over time. Is that
2: uh, what you're saying? I would say it does depend, but I'd say investors with higher portfolio values tend to get the best returns because A, you do have a lot more options. Like for example, if there was a $2,000 bottle of wine and you only were putting in $2,000 to invest, you're pretty limited in terms of your other options. And the other thing is that an investor with a larger portfolio amount can also afford to diversify. Say so if you put in 10K, you can put 2K here, 2K there, and actually build a diversified portfolio approach, which leads to more steady returns with lower downside.
1: So, how can people see how they're doing if they're, they don't have to wait five to 10 years? Is there an ongoing market where there's a market price for different vintages of wine so you can kind of see how your portfolio is
2: doing? The great thing is that the wine market is live. There are millions and millions of people who are drinking wine every day from a consumption standpoint and what we've built out in our online platform is a way to unite all the transaction data that you're getting from people who are buying and selling wine every day, whether it be for investment, speculation, or for consumption. And then we tie that together into creating an estimated market value. So our investors, they can check in every day, every week, every month to be able to be like, all right, where's my initial investment tracking? Is it trending up or down? You know, what else is in my portfolio? And we want to give them the level of transparency and visibility that they come to expect with modern investment platforms.
1: So they can sell their wine early. I mean, they don't have to hold on to it for five or 10 years. If they need the money, they could sell it early and they would have a sense of what the prices would be before they sell it. Is that correct?
2: Exactly. That's absolutely correct. So even though, say, uh, you know, you you intend to hold it for five years, if something happens or you want to pull out, you can sell it and we don't have any sort of minimum liquidation periods or anything like that, what we'll do is we'll just sell your wines back to the live market. And whether it be a retailer, a restaurant group, or another investor, we just match you up with the highest price and then create the transaction.
1: So there are going to be t- several bids. Uh, when you want to sell it back to the market, that if you have something of value, there'd be a c- competitive bid for your, your wines?
2: Absolutely. So with the wines that we're choosing, a big thing that our algorithm optimizes for is established liquidity on a secondary market. So we want to be buying wines that are always in demand.
1: What What happens when a, a winery gets burned on? We've had these California fires, uh, both this year and in previous years, where a lot of vineyards got wiped out by the fire does that make the price of their existing wines go up a lot more
2: it, it tends to do that because you know the the demand for that winery remains the same or even may increase but this winery is not going to be selling smoke tainted grapes or perhaps a large portion of their new harvest is actually decimated so they're producing wine at lower quantity for either the same price or higher price to an existing audience that hasn't really had any less demand for wine given that given the natural disasters that we've seen. So a lot of these things, especially with the COVID impact as well, has actually made the wine market go up. Yeah.
1: And Is this truly a global market? Are you doing wines from France and Spain and Chile and South Africa and all the places that are growing wines?
2: Absolutely. So it is actually primarily a global market. The United States, at least in terms of a supply side, It's about less than 15% of what we're seeing on the global market. The countries like France, Italy, Spain that you mentioned, they have such a rich winemaking history that dates back to hundreds if not thousands of years. So because of that, on a global scale, their brands are just much more recognized and they're what I would call the, the blue chip investments of the wine world.
1: So you, you said that the wines have outperformed the S&P 500. Give us a little bit more statistics on what kind of rates of return wines have produced in the past.
2: Absolutely. So at about 40 years ago, there started becoming an index to track the fine wine world. And that index has returned about 11.1% over the past 40 years annualized. S&P, I believe, is hovering around 8 or 9%. And I think perhaps... The most attractive thing about it is when you look at its performance during downturns. So for example, during the 2008-2009 uh, bubble crisis, there was about a 50% decrease in the S&P. And in terms of the fine wine rule, it only dipped down in single digits. We saw the exact same thing happen earlier this year when the S&P crashed down, I believe, 20-22% in February-March. Uh, the wine index was actually up a couple percentage points. So. Uh, I think another attractive thing about this as an alternative asset is that it truly is very, very low correlation to what the stock market does and that's, I think, a very strong selling point when you're looking to diversify into something outside of just the stock market.
1: And how about the volatility of prices compared to stock
2: prices? It's pretty slow and steady, I think, A, because it is not very easy to get into, it's still Um, unfortunately controlled by people who are either extremely wealthy and have the resources or by people who are very well connected in the tech industry so you know say someone who wants to be even diversified into wine doesn't really know where to start so because of that and also because the long-term nature of it everybody has a long-term perspective and that has caused much lower volatility when you compare it to other alternatives whether it be commercial real estate or whether it be gold um, we're looking at five year, ten year volatility graphs, and wine is lower than both of those examples that I mentioned.
1: So, how much do you have in Vinavest, uh assets under management now, and how do you think that's going to be growing, say, in the next five to ten years?
2: Right now, we have just south of $10 million in terms of wine assets under management. Uh, that's from about a thousand investors on our platform, web portfolios with us. And we've seen the most tremendous amount of growth in COVID, I think just. Uh, you know people are at home they're they're, they're certainly drinking a lot of wine uh, a lot more than before and I think given the state of the stock market has a lot of smart investors feeling a little bit uneasy and wanting to start diversifying a little bit more so we're having this intersection of a lot of people becoming interested in wine plus a lot of people becoming more interested in alternatives and our platform sits right at the right in the middle of that so we've seen really really positive growth and I think just generally, alternatives are going to be much easier to access for retail investors in the future. If you look at gold 30 years ago, right, you had to buy it by the bar and it was very expensive. And same thing with commercial real estate. And now there's all these new regulations and laws that make it really easy for people to be able to invest in these asset classes that previously were only for high net worths or institutions.
1: And you're not for accredited investors only. Anybody can go into You don't have to be accredited to
2: participate. Is that right? Exactly. So we have set up the platform in a structure where you're actually investing directly into bottles and cases of wine. It's not a fund. It's not a security. So as long as you're 21 in the United States, you can own that bottle of wine.
1: Yeah. So tell us about your website. What is the website and what is the process that people would go through to actually sign up and buy some bottles of wine for investment purposes?
2: The VinoVest website is that vinovest.co, so that's dot, dot .co, and the product experience we've designed to be really, really easy for people with basic financial knowledge of the markets, but you don't need to be a wine expert. So first, after you log in, we'll take you through a quick assessment quiz, asking you about your timeline, asking you about what other investments you have in your portfolio, as well as if you want to go aggressive or go conservative or somewhere in between. After that, you can fund your account online via bank transfer or a credit card, and then our algorithm will take those parameters in, digest them, and then start creating a portfolio for you.
1: Is there any way to get income out of the portfolio? I mean, I guess if you just sell, sell bottles along the way, there's no, no other way to get income from this. Is that correct?
2: This is just going to be purely based on the asset appreciation. So, you know, 100 bucks a bottle today, 200 bucks a bottle in five years, and... Of course, there's going to be active management on that portfolio to make sure that you're able to rebalance when needed to take advantage of new market opportunities when they pop up and also sell wines when they kind of reach their peak. So that's something that we also offer in terms of our active management on the platform. So you don't need to be the one doing hours of research talking about which wines you should buy and sell at any given moment. Our team is scanning the market every day to make sure that we can handle that for you.
1: So you sell as well. and other words, you, you turn over the management of your portfolio to your team, and if they think something's about to go down, they will sell and put, it, put something else in there that they think has more growth
2: potential. Exactly. So we're, we're monitoring the live market, taking a very active management approach, not just like a, we buy your wine for five years and leave them until, leave them until the end of the five years. So it's going to be much more hands on than that on our part.
1: Very good. All right, well, don't we just kind of sum up, since we're just about to the end of our, our time here, why somebody should be investing in wine uh, in the current market environment where the stock market's been soaring for such a long time.
2: Absolutely. So I think if you believe that we're closer to the top of the market cycle than the bottom and you do want to divest some of your gains from the stock market or for other income sources into something that is truly really uncorrelated, that's something that is tangible, and something that has been around past decades of price appreciation data, I think wine could be an interesting thing to consider as an alternative asset. Well,
1: thanks so much. My guest for this half hour has been Anthony Zhang. He's the CEO and co-founder of VinoVest. You can find out more at his website, vinovest.co. Thanks so much for being on the Money Out the Show, Anthony.
2: Absolutely, Jordan. I had a great time, so thank you so much.
1: Appreciate it very much. Thanks, and we'll be back after this. Wish you were in on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them for what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO, like Beyond Meat, or being bought out by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today you can see our crowd's investment in Texi, a software startup that helps technicians and customer service teams see what their customer sees without ever stepping inside their home or office. It's safe, easy, and already revolutionizing how companies like Vodafone, Verizon, and Samsung support their customers. Texi uses patented technology combining video, augmented reality, and computer vision, artificial intelligence. It allows companies to see their customer service up and running, reduce costs, and enhance their customer experience. As a category leader in visual assistance space, and with remote support being essential during the pandemic, TechSee is uniquely positioned to continue to maximize their market share with leading enterprise companies. You can get in early on TechSee and uh, see other unique opportunities at our crowd, at ourcrowd.com/answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd The our crowd account is free, so just go to o-u-r-c-r-o-w. dot
3: com/answers.
4: Be sure to like the Voice America Business Channel on Facebook. You'll find out about up-to-the-minute business happenings and get ideas from entrepreneurs and business professionals. Search Voice America Business or click the like button under the player and stay ahead of the curve. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAM Business. Again, that's at VoiceAM Business. And stay current.
5: The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Lawrence Jankelow. Uh, he is the co-founder of Avail, which is an all-in-one software to help landlords run their uh, rental real estate businesses, and he is a real estate expert as well. Welcome to the show, Lawrence.
7: Great. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Just give us your history a little bit and how you got to founding of Avail.
7: Sure. Well, you know, I started off as a a do it yourself landlord myself. I've got six rental properties and, um, you know, I was managing those part time while working a full time, uh, occupation at Goldman Sachs. And I, I found that it was getting pretty difficult to manage my rentals and I didn't have access to some of the tools that you would expect to have in, you know, Uh, This day and age, I I didn't know how to screen tenants or where to get credit reports from, couldn't collect rent online. And, you know, when talking with a buddy, he had the same issues. And, you know, we decided that, you know what, this is a good opportunity for us, a good time to quit our jobs and and start a business that's meant to help do-it-yourself landlords. So we did that. And, um, you know, we taught ourselves to code, built the initial product ourselves uh, wrote the first 500,000 lines, essentially building a product that met our needs. And, um, you know, we saw that there were hundreds of thousands of landlords just waiting for something like this. And uh, in some ways, we got lucky that there was a huge audience out there for this, but um, super lucky because the, the tool set itself is, is miraculous, even for even if it was just for us initially.
1: So what's the advantage of somebody investing in real estate as a landlord compared to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, which are much more passive, it seems to me.
7: Yeah, and I actually am happy to mention that because real estate, you know, a lot of people think real estate's passive, um, but it's not really. It, it's actually a lot of hard work. Um, and so that is a hu- that already is a huge difference in, in terms of those investments. You need stock and equity can be very passive. I think what you get with real estate, however, um, are two things. The first is control. And I make all the decisions and um, I have a lot of understanding of what's happening with my rental properties and I can choose what kind of improvements I want to do, what kind of tenants I have. And, uh, that control is is huge for me. Um, the second thing that you get out of it um, is some diversification because, you know, uh, stocks and bonds and uh, are, are two asset classes, real estate's a third, and you want some um, diversification across asset classes as you're investing. This is just a really good one to have that's fixed in something tangible
1: yeah so uh lately uh people have been talking about how many people are not paying their rent i've heard 40 50 something like that so why would this be a good time to get into rental real estate when so many people are not paying their rent because they don't have the money they've lost their jobs
7: yes certainly well i'm not sure if if where your data is coming from ours is actually a little bit conflicting from that um so we're, we're seeing that throughout the pandemic, you know, starting in March, uh, we're actually not seeing as much of a, a lack in rent payments as we thought. You know, We've got uh, 200,000 landlords, 400,000 tenants using our system. Um, we didn't see as huge a, a, of a drop as that um, over time. Initially when, you know, when the pandemic hit in March, we were all fearful for April and it ended up turning out that April people paid rent um, almost at the same rate as they had in March. And, I think we owe a lot of that just to um, good timing with some of the policies that came out. Um, You know, there was certainly the stimulus checks that came out right uh, in the middle of April. And so that was allowing tenants to pay off their April 1st rents. And then we saw unemployment, huge benefits in unemployment come along that allowed them to pay their their May, June, July rents. Um, Obviously, those benefits have ended now. So if if there are going to be real problems with rent payments, we're actually expecting to see it for September 1st. So the data actually isn't showing it as bad of a situation as I think the media likes to show it. We did see a lot of tenants lose their jobs. You know, we had upwards of 40, 45% of our tenants on our platform um, admit to losing a job during this time period. But the rent payments held a lot better than we thought, um, albeit a little later. That being said, you know, a tough time to be in real estate. Sorry?
1: As you say, the stimulus checks have now stopped as of July 31st. So what are you anticipating? For September and October, assuming that there's no new unemployment checks, uh, how high do you think the non payment rate might get?
7: Yeah, I mean, it, it could get reasonably high. Now, there are people going back to work or are seeing some of that happen. Um, and it also really depends on the nature of the real estate you're holding. Uh, if you're holding um, huge, you know, 200 unit multifamily properties, you may, um, you may have a different experience than if, you're, if your holdings are a couple single family homes or a, a three flat. Um, so, the, the experience that the landlord's going to face are going to be entirely different. Uh, that being said, if, you've, if you're already holding the real estate, there's not much you can do at this point. Uh, it's not like you're making the decision today, oh, should I be a landlord, should I not? You already are and now you're trying to make the best out of it that you can, um, which is you know, working with your tenants if a need arises to come up with a plan. Um, I know mortgage forbearance is an option for most landlords right now. So, if your tenants can't pay, you do have that as an option. Um, which really just kicks the can down the road uh but it's at least something um now if someone is deciding hey i'm not a landlord today do i want to be one this could be a good entry point only because you know uh rental property prices may be deflated um in the short term allowing a good entry point so you know anytime there's a market that's suffering it can be an opportunity to enter so how is this going
1: to affect the prices of rental properties and Maybe there's a difference between in center cities and in suburbs and rural areas. So and So many people are moving out of cities into suburban and rural areas. How is it going to affect pricing of rental units?
7: Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, you're, you're seeing a huge change in behavior. Um, the question is whether it's temporary or if it's permanent, Um, You know, people are obviously moving to suburbs and more rural areas just to get more space and get away from other people. Um, Some of that's based out of fear. Some of it's based out of, I just need more outdoor areas since I can't do anything in crowds. So uh, the question is whether that's going to be long-term or not. If if that ends up being long-term, yeah, we'll see a change in rental prices. We'll see that, um, you know, multifamily property rental prices probably come down, uh, whereas single family home prices go up. and. Um, there's going to be an offset there, and you know, if you're holding multifamily in the city, maybe you're scared, maybe you're not. Um, that being said, though, in cities, there's been a huge uh, shortage of rental properties for years now, so that may actually end up normalizing and creating an equilibrium there, rather than a, a negative effect.
1: Who is the right kind of person to be a landlord? I mean, you have to be able to put up with—I uh, guess they call them three T's, right? Tenants, toilets, and termites. Uh, is this something that some people just are not cut out to be and some people it's fine?
7: Yeah, I, I mean, I think certainly there are, there, I wouldn't even limit it to real estate. There are some people where, um, just any investment is too much work or too much risk. I, I think of the same thing, um, with stocks, right? You can either know how the stock market works and how to price it. Um, and you're willing to do some research or you're willing to take a little bit of risk if you want to go into, um, a little less risk if you want to go into a mutual fund, but you- it's not every investment type is for everyone. Um, I think the three T's you mentioned are certainly good points for people to consider. Um, you know, If you don't feel like you can take on the responsibility of creating a, a comfortable place for tenants to live, then probably landlording isn't for you. I mean, you have to consider that there's a life involved that's not yours, um, and it does require a little bit more effort and, and patience. Um, obviously, toilets and termites, those things pop up. So. Uh, you know, if you're comfortable going on Yelp and picking out a contractor um, and understanding that there's an expense there, and you can think of your rental properties as a business where there's revenue there to pay for those expenses, and you can manage it in a way where your revenue is more than your expense, and you treat it as a business, then maybe it's right for you. If you can't think that way, then probably isn't right for you, and, and a different investment might be better.
1: So tell us about your software. It's called Avail, and your website is avail.co. Uh, what exactly does your software do and why does a landlord want to use that compared to what they've been doing before having your software? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
7: our software initially was geared towards helping landlords automate some of the rental process for them. So, you know, when you first become a landlord, you've really got two options. I can try to manage this myself. I can find my own tenants. I can um, get my own screening reports and those things, or I can hire a property manager to come and do it for me if you really want the passive path. And what we found is it's actually really hard to get a property manager. Um, Not because they're not out there, it's just because they're so expensive. And trying to get one essentially makes it unprofitable for you to manage a property. And so most landlords when they're starting will do it themselves. And we find that they, they don't know what they're doing and they don't know where to go to get resources. And so that's why we built Avail. We built it to give them all the tools that a professional would use but at a price that's super affordable. Um, and so we allow them to get credit reports, criminal background checks, eviction reports so that their tenants pay their rent online. We give them state and city specific lease agreements that can be signed digitally. Um, we give them an avenue to create a listing and then we syndicate it all across the web so that they're, they're not having to go to 15 different websites to do it, we just do it for them. So kind of all the operational tools to automate.
1: And is it a s- subscription based? Do you buy it? How does it work and uh, how much does it cost?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's free. So if, uh, for as many units as you want to put on the platform, it's completely free. Uh, there is a, um, a premium plan. We call it the plus plan. So if you need a lot more customization than what you get on the free plan, uh, then it's $5 a month. And that customization will essentially allows you to write your own lease clauses. Um, it allows you to write your own custom application questions. And we find that not every landlord needs those things. Um, and so that's free if you want it to be, or if you need a little more, uh, tweaking, then you, you it's $5 per unit per month.
1: So if it's free and $5, what is your business plan? How do you make money at this?
7: Yeah, well, I mean, we're targeting um, small do-it-yourself landlords. So there's 8 million of them in the United States. So even at like a combined somewhere in between $0 and $5, you know, with um, a lot of landlords, you can make a lot of money on our side. And um, it's really kind of the, the the law of large numbers here and the power of the masses. And if we can get... Landlords to use the platform and um, each contribute a little bit of revenue here and there that ends up being a quite a massive business And so we've got 200,000 landlords already and 400,000 tenants Um, For us, it's clear that there's a huge demand for something like this and uh, We we end up making money that way. We also do make money on some of the transactional items that occur So uh, the credit report and background check uh, we charge $55 for that. So we also make money there I see.
1: very good all right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour, this half hour, is Lawrence Jankelow. He is the fo- co-founder of Avail, uh, which is a software program to help landlords manage their uh, properties, and also he helps people uh, figure out how to be uh, good landlords and invest in real estate. His website is avail.co.
6: We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Lawrence Jankelow. He is the co-founder of Avail, which is an all-in-one software program that helps landlords manage their buildings, and they also helps people invest in real estate. Welcome back to the show, Lawrence.
7: Thanks. Excited to keep going. So,
1: so there are two ways to invest in real estate. One is buy it all cash, and the other is to use leverage, to use debt to buy it. What are the pros and cons of those as far as buying rental properties?
7: Sure. Well, I mean, I can only really think of one pro for the all cash, which is uh, essentially a, a quick close. Um, and maybe if you really want to argue it, there's like a second pro, which is just um, more of a mental hurdle, which is people don't like debt and I can sleep better at night. Um, Potentially you could weather a storm like the pandemic right now better. However, there's a ton of tangible benefits to using debt. Um, And I hate hate citing uh, poor debt. It's a great book, but maybe a little cliche, but there's good debt and bad debt. And any debt where it allows you to put money in your pocket every month is good debt so you know if you use debt to get real estate and you're paying a mortgage call it two thousand dollars a month but your rental income is three or four thousand dollars a month at the end of the month yeah you're paying off this debt but you're you're ending with more money than you started um and that's good debt and what that allows you to do is build up more of a portfolio faster and get more cash flow faster than if you pay all cash, um, because that way you can get some leverage, you can get more properties than um, if, you, if you wanted to pay all cash all on your own.
1: Do you think a lot of landlords are going to be running into trouble if they're not getting paid their rent, and I'm talking about in coming months where they're not going to be getting, the tenants are not going to be getting the unemployment they were getting before, uh, that the, they're not going be, the landlords are not going to be able to pay their mortgages, and therefore there could be more foreclosures if this moratorium goes away?
7: yeah i mean that's certainly possible and for landlords who maybe over themselves that's a that's a real concern and something to be nervous about um, that being said though you know banks aren't necessarily in the business to foreclose on properties they don't want to do that they have no interest in owning or holding the real estate um, and they're all willing to work with you just as we are willing to work with our tenants and so if you find that you're in a position where hey look you're not going to meet your mortgage payments on some of your properties um, the first thing you want to do is communicate with your bank because most likely they'll work out a plan or um, do like a, a one to three or six month forbearance on it. And um, you'll find that they don't really give you a lot of problems with that, especially at a time like this um, because it's so much more costly for them to try to go through a foreclosure process. So risky, but not at the end of the day, on a practical level, not that risky. Um, that being said, also most of the time, you know, you end up having e- enough equity in the property where if you needed to, um, you could do a refinance, pull some cash out, use that to pay off some of the mortgage um, if you needed to. Um, and then, like I said, right now, tenants are still paying their rent. Um, there's no reason to think they won't other than, okay, you know, un- unemployment benefits have stopped. But I, um, I would almost imagine that those things will be renewed. And it really depends on which state you're into, because each state is going to do unemployment a little differently. So I, I think we'll see that policy will catch up and and make things more available make money more available so what
1: what are some of the laws around eviction if people haven't paid their rent for six months or you know a long time at what point should the landlord move to evict them
7: well right now depending on what state you're in and what kind of mortgage you have you may not be able to evict them Um, so some states have put on a a moratorium on it um, which doesn't allow you to do the the proceedings Um, And then if you have a mortgage that's backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, um, which I think is something like 75% of all mortgages, you also can't move forward with um, an eviction. However, those same states and those same mortgages are also offering forbearance by the CARES Act. Those are also required. So um, in some ways, you can try to figure it out. Um, The forbearance on the mortgage really just kicks the can down the road by six months. But it's also the same thing with tenants who haven't paid their rent. It's not a complete forgiveness of the rent you're still expecting them to pay, but now you're just saying, okay, you're going to do it in six months, and, and you hope the timing of those things work out. And in the cases where they don't, uh, yeah, then you have to, you know, you go to, you, you go to court, you file the eviction proceedings, you try to uh, get a judgment against the tenant and get that rent back, and, um, you know, obviously working with your bank in the meantime, who understands those things so that you, you get the time that you need to, to figure those things out. This is definitely an unusual time. This is not a normal time for evictions,
1: indeed <laughs> but it's it, it, i mean do you see a wave of say this goes on for another six months and the covid still out there in a big way and the congress has not renewed the expanded unemployment benefits and the moratorium and eviction foreclosures goes away just say for the moment that that's the case would you see a wave of evictions and foreclosures because landlords wouldn't be able to make their mortgage payments
7: yeah i mean hard to have a crystal ball here um uh, you know, if we make the assumption that uh, you know the pandemic is ongoing or has a resurgence, which there's, there's probably some likelihood to it with winter and everything, um, then yeah, you'd probably find that there is a cascading effect where if renters can't pay their rent, landlords then can't pay their mortgage. You know, banks can't you know continue to pay wages. Um, you could see a cascading effect, but I think anywhere in that path, there's going to be an intervention, um, and there's already laws being written to do this. So I'm not advocating for people to go out and, and be fearful or um, spread fear. I think in the end, we'll find that all of it kind of um, works out in a way, whether it's through government intervention or working out deals uniquely with each tenant or working with your bank. I don't think we're going to see um, as big of a problem as uh, you know, it could be. I mean, certainly it could, it could be a huge problem, but I just don't, I just don't see it happening personally.
1: Do you recommend people rent places only where they live or to, can they buy rental units all around the country even though they're not physically there?
7: I think either way, um, the approach you have to take is different. So the rental properties I personally have are kind of close to where I live. Um, it does enable me to do a few things um, that you can't do if you don't live close by. However, I'm also in a what I would consider to be an expensive city. I'm in Chicago. So you know, buying a rental property here is a lot more expensive. So if you're trying to buy your first rental property and you live in a major city like Chicago, you may be priced out from getting started, in which case you might have to, if you want that passive, in- that passive income stream, um, then you may have to look at more suburban or rural cities or cities across the country just to get started. And in those cases, uh, maybe it makes sense to price in a property manager or some sort of tool or a way to work with existing tenants to, to help you manage those properties so i think anywhere is fine but it does definitely change the process you use to manage those properties
1: how is the whole COVID crisis affecting do-it-yourself landlords differently from large real estate owners
7: Oh, i think they're more affected in a lot of ways you know some of the really large um, real estate holders are reits or funds uh, with huge amounts of cash on hand and they can weather a, a really long storm um, and they're not personally affected either. So you think about any of the the um, investors or holders of that huge REIT or institutional fund, their their salaries aren't impacted, their lives aren't impacted. Whereas a do-it-yourself landlord, a lot of them end up being accidental or in nature they, they never attended to be landlords. Maybe they had a, a condo or single-family home that they needed to move out of. Um, and you know, if they don't get their rent, yeah, that could bankrupt them. And so uh, a lot more fear happening for do-it-yourself landlords um, and I think now is probably a good time for them to start thinking about what kind of community can they start to be involved in to start talking about their options. And, you know, a lot of landlords might not know what their options are available. So it's a good time to just reach out and, and talk to people and even listen to shows like this so that they know what's available to them.
1: In a roughly minute or so we have left, why don't you kind of sum up why it makes sense in today's environment to become a landlord uh, to produce a, a stream of uh, passive income?
7: Yeah, well, I mean, hard to, um, you know, convince people emotionally that now's a good time to get in because everyone's scared. But we've seen with every investment, um, every asset class that when things are bad, those are usually the opportunities to get in. Um, But why real estate specifically as opposed to other asset classes? You know, the stock market's at an all-time high. I feel like if um, what you were suggesting or implying where, the you know, people lose their jobs and rent can't be paid, that's gonna have an impact on all asset classes and you'll see that the stock market drops tremendously as well. Um, But real estate, if you're planning, if you're a planner, you you just plan that into it and you know that, hey, I'm gonna go get a mortgage. Um, I'm obviously gonna have to put a significant amount of equity in and I might not get rent for three, four, five months. Um, Plan those into your numbers. Uh, Real estate is very much a numbers game and think about what rental income I'm gonna make over this time period versus what my expenses are, and only get involved if the numbers make sense. Otherwise, just wait um, if if those numbers aren't gonna make sense. Through your rental income, even given two, three months of of not getting it, you are enough to cover expenses over the next six months to a year. Terrific.
1: Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Lawrence Jankelow. He is the co-founder of Avail, which is a software program to help people become landlords and manage their rental properties. You can find out more about him and his software at avail.co. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Lawrence. Thank
5: Thank
7: you
0: so much. much.
1: Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.